Uh, first off, <clears throat> excuse me. Anyone here for the first time? Show of hands, please. Okay, for those of you who are here for the first time, is this the first time you've attended a meditative gathering? If so, a show of hands. We, we're not going to give you a pointed hat or anything. It's just, <laughs> it will help me uh, attune what I say to, to, to the particular group of people who are here. So all of you have had some instruction on meditation. Anyone who's not in any practice of sitting, even if it's just once or twice, who's here for the very, just wandered in from the outside. <laughs> okay. Uh, the title, uh, Learning How to Live a Quiet Passion, uh, is also um, self-awareness in action. Um, continuous awakening could be, uh, or is, for the, in the next period of time, I don't know how long that will go. Whatever I whatever we I talk about is going to have to do with that theme. Uh, the last uh, during the last uh, talk, uh, I took a particular sutra, the Bade Karata Sutta, which is a sutra of the Buddha, teaching of the Buddha, and it's basically on time, T I M E, on. Um, and why, uh, what, on an, having an, an auspicious day. What is an auspicious day? I'm not going to go through as much detail as I did last time, but a little bit of refreshing, uh, re reviewing what, uh, what we talked about, just to enter into, because we'll be talking today about uh, learning how to live, which is the on ongoing theme, and... Uh, Sometimes I'll use classical teachings of the Buddha to enable us uh, to see if they're applicable for, to today, to our lives uh, 2,000, almost 600 years ago. That's, um, perhaps they're dated. Maybe they just were okay in India and China, Japan, Vietnam, and so forth, Korea. But uh, they're irrelevant here in the computer age and so forth. Um, I think probably many of you know that at least some of it seems as relevant today as ever. Um, the attitude in a Dharma talk is not one of where you go to, a, let's say, a talk or college class or a class where you, in a sense, listen to the speaker, gather some information, um, and some of it's interesting, some of it's boring, some of it you've heard before, some of you agree with, some you disagree with. Uh, it's an opportunity to practice mindful listening. So uh, the sitting is over, but um, and it's not that you have to agree with what you're hearing. Quite, the, It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with practicing being awake. And uh, the way I've seen it myself, the best way to learn how to be fully awake is to see how you're not. How to, how to listen? What does mindful listening mean? Uh, that uh, not by trying to be mindful, it's not straining, you know, sort of what's, what is it, uh, so much as relaxing and being open and hearing what's being said and also starting to see how the mind encroaches upon our ability to really listen. 
by starting to think about what you're going to do tomorrow. If it's a few sentences that are not that interesting, you've heard it before, and then you drift off into or what your boss said this afternoon, and then you're back. Uh, just not to get into a war with that, but just to see it. And in the seeing of it, usually there's clarity. There's a bit more clarity at any rate. And so there's hearing. Right now, I'm going to be speaking. I am speaking. So um, I'm doing my best to, uh, to be as clear as I can be. Uh, and as, in a little while, I'd like to, uh, to hear what you have to say. I'm really uh, actually quite interested in having uh, a dialogue, not so much uh, me uh, talking, 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 although some, of course, there'll be some, uh, but finding out uh, what you have to say, and then I'll be practicing listening myself. Now, learning how to live, I'm doing that right now. When I ask you, get a rough, and it's pretty crude, sense of how many people are new here, how many people, if there are any people, because sometimes on Wednesday evening, uh, it's where people are, are, some are new, uh, or are shopping. You know, sort of, uh, you've tried yoga, it's nice. Uh, see what this is? Well, then I hear Zen is more colorful, funnier, it is. And uh, then the Tibetans have outfits and robes, and these people just have ordinary sweat, or sweatpants, and uh, they're not even monks, what do they know? And... Uh, he has a Brooklyn accent that makes him even less qualified. Um, so um, let's see if we can all practice together. In other words, uh, it's an ongoing uh, an attempt to bring aliveness into our life. The Body Karata Sutta, which is about time, and why was it called an, an auspicious day? Uh, is because at the time in India, what was considered auspicious, I want to make sure you guys don't get left out here. Uh, aside from sitting in the center, it's, I'll do my best. Uh, people believed that a day was auspicious because of cosmic forces or talismans or um, some kind of psychic readings, uh, 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 astrological readings, and what the Buddha is saying is, no, an auspicious day is a day when, I'll just read, I'm not going to go through the whole sutra, but I think for what we're talking about to make sense, I have to go through some of it. I've heard on one occasion, the Blessed One, that would be the Buddha, was staying at Savati at the Jetta's Grove, Anatta Pindika's monastery. There he addressed the yogis, the yogis, and they responded, and then he said, monks, O yogis, I will teach you the summary and exposition of one who has had an auspicious day. Listen and play, pay close attention. I will speak. And he does. You shouldn't chase after the past. I'll explain what that means. I'll do my best in a few moments. Or place expectations on the future. You shouldn't chase after the past. Or place expectations on the future. What is past is left behind. The future is as yet unreached. Whatever quality is present, you clearly see right here, right here. That's the famous present moment, be here now. You know, you've heard all of that now. Right? 
mindfulness. Anyone not heard of the term mindfulness? You must be, if, if so, you're living on another planet. It's, it's all, all over the place, replaced organic and non-GMO and non-glutinous. Okay. Okay, so we're talking about a relationship to the past, to the future, and then the Buddha says, not taken in, unshaken, and that's how you develop the heart. In other words, by being in the present moment, it's by develop, developing the heart. Ardently doing what should be done, that is whatever, what should be done today, for who knows, tomorrow, death. There's no bargaining with mortality, and, and mortality's mighty hoard. Whoever lives thus ardently, day and night, has truly had an auspicious day, so says the peaceful sage. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a, a shorter version, much shorter, and this one I think you'll, if you have any confusion, this will be, uh, this is an, a very sh a brief teaching of the Buddha. Uh, the Buddha and a bunch of yogis were practicing together, and someone came by and noticed how radiant they were, and said, my goodness, look how radiant all these people are. They seem to be have inner peace, they seem to be happy, and ask, what's your secret? And the Buddha's answer was, they do not lament over the past. They yearn not for what is yet to come. They maintain, sustain, or nourish themselves in the present. Thus their demeanor is, their demeanor is serene. Um, What's being said here, that's from the, you don't need to know the, the sutra. If anyone's interested, I can give, it, give you the references at the end. Uh, what's being said here is that uh, it's trying to establish what a relationship to the past and the future, uh, a, a relationship that, in a sense, is spiritually significant, and that also, of course, includes the present. Now, is that saying to just obliterate, some people misunderstand. They think that it means the past is over with, no future, uh, that it's some kind of training in, the, in how to be an Alzheimer's patient. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I mean, we, uh, we have a way of doing that ourselves, you know, with improper diet and all the rest of the literature you probably, some of you are reading. Um, what it's talking about is how to establish a proper relationship to the past. So that, for example, we have a past. Everyone has a past, obviously. We have a story. We were born. Things happened to us. So the problem isn't the past. It's how we relate to that past. And uh, it's not that if you meet someone new and they ask you, um, well, what do you do? Oh, I'm learning Vipassana meditations, Buddhist meditation. They say, well, um, what, uh, what's your job? Where did you go to school? And say, oh no, we have we don't talk about the past. That those days, are, that's over. <laughs> no, it's, you establish a relationship to the past. Sometimes you have to draw upon the past, and it's sensible. It's when we give uh, compulsive authority over to the past, and it's as if we're living in the past. And the same with the future. It's not, for example, I had a plan to come here. So did you. We, uh, sometimes there are forecasts, weather forecasts, which are not perhaps completely accurate, warn people so that they can save their lives if a, a severe hurricane is coming. And in general, planning for the future uh, is a wonderful thing. Or I'm going to meet you at X place at X time. It's only when we mistake what, uh, what we call the future for being real 
It's virtual time, if that, if that term means anything to you. Uh, another way of putting it, I get, and it's, this is not the way it's depicted in the films, it's kind of time travel. That is, psychological time. We create a past, and sometimes we're so enthralled with a past, for, either because it was terrible or wonderful, that it's as if we're living there. It's, we, we were, we're traveling there, but of course, there's no, you can't do that. It's over. Is that clear to everyone? It, it can't be retrieved. It's gone. What we have is a memory of it, usually faulty, and modified according to our present. Uh, if any of you have tried to see how reliable your, your past is, I have. Whoa. I mean, you do your best you can. Uh, so uh, virtual travel is when you mistake something that's over with in a certain way and given a certain authority over you. So you're, in a sense, enslaved by the past. And uh, this, we all have been wounded in the past. That's a common one. We all have been hurt one way or another. You may have had lovely parents, uh, wonderful conditions growing up. You still have wounds just to be alive. Isn't that so? If not, wow, great. Um, so we have wounds, uh, but what we experience now is, in a sense, the, the, the wound which is over, the bullet that's lodged in us, and it's, we experience it, but we experience it here and now. That's the only where you can experience it. And the future, again, is time travel. Sometimes people make up a future because the present is so bleak, or they don't want to look at the present, or they uh, don't know what to do in the present. And so they make up either fanciful futures, wonderful futures, uh, uh, heavenly futures, which is a kind of shelter from uh, not being able to really uh, relate to what is actually happening in their actual life, in the actual moment, in this actual place. And so it, the mind travels there. It's time travel in that sense. And it inhabits this reality which doesn't exist. There is no such thing as the future in a certain sense. So all of it is contained in the present. When you're fully in the present, that's the only, the only time and place you can heal the wounds of the past, what is being maintained. You don't have to agree with this. Why do we bother with all this meditation stuff? What have we been, why have people been doing it for thousands of years? They just have nothing better to do? There was no TV in ancient India? No Netflix? No, no you know, gadgets to new gadgets? So this one has faster and movies and cameras and takes pictures at night and, you know... Uh, in certain sense, things have changed dramatically, technologically, certainly. But in another sense, nothing has changed at all. We humans seem to have, we, we suffered then, we suffer now. The reasons have changed, of course. And now perhaps the stakes are higher because we have so much power. We've developed so much power through technological and scientific prowess and also immense ignorance Learning how to live is, is another way of putting another term for wisdom, or it's a form of intelligence. Wisdom is a kind of intelligence, and it has to do with how you live. And uh, it can be what, what is being maintained by the Buddha and all those who have followed the Buddha is that you can learn how to live. In other words, you can learn how to live in such a way that 
you start to meet your, the areas in your life that are not working and do something about it. But it can only happen in the present moment. The past is over. And so if we get confused, that, that's not going to have any transformative power. Or we keep analyzing it and thinking it, that has some value. Perhaps using thinking in a skillful way, a kind of uh, insightful reflection. We know how to do that. People have been doing that for a long time. But again, it has no transformative power. It's to, re- to experience whatever turns up in the present moment and taking care of it. That's what awareness does, mindfulness does. It's learning how to take care of it. And we'll go, we'll go into that in a few moments. If you've been meditating, you have a sense that that's, whether you know it or not, that's what you've been learning. And as for the future, uh, it's to give us some perspective. Sometimes we have a nightmarish future or we have a, an extraordinary future. We'll understand how are you using that. Uh, why is your mind preferred to live in a future, uh, in a made-up reality, make-believe reality, then what is it in the present moment that's lacking? Why do we need some place off in the future to intrigue, to hold us, really? We give tremendous authority to the past and the future. We're enslaved to it. it. The problem is not the past or the future. And even in the present moment, in a sense, there is... Where is the present moment? It's just, it's ancient. It's it's gone. So in a certain sense, there's no past. There's no future. There's no present. What? So in other words, because this this is all, (laughs) doesn't sound right, does it? (laughs) Okay. But if you you take a a fresh look at what the mind does uh, about the past, about the future, it's thinking, or it's time, psychological time. And even, uh, let's say, clock time, very useful. We invented it, you know, uh, 10 minutes to 8. That's very useful. Uh, mileage, this, this doesn't exist in nature. It's fabricated. It's a human invention. It's a relative truth, but it's helpful. It's not that it's useless, but it has its place. And, but when we come into the psychological realm, why is there such an emphasis on being in the present moment that I'm sure you've all heard about? Mindless, be here now, the power of now, and so forth. It goes on. All the titles are starting to sound the same to me. Uh, in the last book I wrote, Three Steps to Awakening, I recently was uh, chided on that, saying, uh, just three steps? You know, uh, and of course, it's not three steps. Uh, so I've written an additional book, the, the, what's going to replace it, No Steps to Awakening, <laughs> which you just open the book and there's a picture of me and you're, you're completely enlightened. <laughs> Blank pages. And if you get it, you're enlightened. If you don't... <laughs> so um, it's an intelligent use of time. Um, we need time. It's, a very, it's very useful. But we have to understand what's going on and uh, let's take the, uh, the title uh, of the talk in this series of, of talks, Learning How to Live. Uh, let's start with learning. Learning how to live. Hmm. We all know how to learn. or All of us here, we've learned language, we've learned how to count, etc., etc. Many of you have had a lot of schooling, some schooling. So learning, but a lot of that learning is knowledge is information, knowledge, thinking knowledge, images, 
uh, and it's invaluable. It's put together civilization. We've created all kinds of wonderful things, including this form here. Uh, this is all made up. This is a stage set. Did you realize that? Do you think that's the Buddha? It's made up. They cast, they cast them in Thailand, and they churn them out by the thousands. There's, there's all the tourist buses pull up. Okay, here come the Americans. Get out another couple of hundred. Um, but it's a useful convention. It's conventional reality, conditioned reality. So we live here. We know that uh, red means stop and green means go. So it's not to demean that, but to understand that the mind has made this up. When we start to look inside, uh, a lot of this is, uh, doesn't hold up. That is, uh, so learning, that is a different kind of learning. We're used to learning being from books, from teachers, now from videos, from, you know, all the different uh, media that are used to learn, and from life itself. Uh, here, uh, but then when we graduate, it's as if learning has ended. Or learning goes on in classrooms where you get a, and we're being tested. And what is being said here is, at least what I'm saying, is that living ha is inseparable from learning if you're on a path of awakening. If you're fed up and tired with unnecessary suffering and you care about the quality of your life, otherwise, why would you be here? It's a little hot, stuffy here in this room. You could be somewhere much more pleasant. Um, so I assume you do care. And what we're all trying to do is to help one another learn uh, to see how we actually live, underscore actually. How do we actually live? Because we've been so busy, we might not have taken, had the time to look at that. A lot of our upbringing is, emphasizes comparing and competition. And it, it mobilizes tremendous energy. We're looking how we're doing compared to other people. And, uh, and if you're good at it, you get rewarded in various ways. And we're so good at it, to some degree, that we don't have time to look at who's doing all this. Who's, who's doing the living? What does it mean to be alive? Is it just breathing? Uh, and we, if you take a look, and some of us are older, some of you, are, we see it's a, a rather younger crowd, but some of us, like the gray panthers, you may not know what that means, but some, does anyone know what I mean by the gray panthers? <laughs> okay. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the euphemism is senior citizen. Uh, my father, uh, when I was, and he, uh, when uh, I visited him when he was still alive in Florida, and he was with a bunch of senior citizens, uh, all of them are much younger than I am now. I mean, much, and I'm a senior clearly. And they got into a big argument as to when is it? A, when is a person a senior citizen? And one person said 62, another one said 65. Really, it should be 70. Socially, and they were arguing. And my father said, "No, it's none of that." They said, "Well, uh, when when is a person a senior citizen?" He says, "When the little old lady that you help cross the street turns out to be your wife, then you're a senior citizen." <laughs> so um, let's uh, let's uh, take for example aging. Uh, those, and, I, and I say this with some hesitation because many of you are very young and having watched my it's a very interesting to watch my granddaughter growing up she's seven and as when a person's young the interest is in them more and more getting older 
and learning th this and learning that. Now she can walk. Now, oh, now she can wear a dress. Now she can, and then as pe but then the grandparents and the uncles and the aunts uh, and the other people in the room, they're trying to get younger. They're bringing up the young person to be older to a point, and then it goes the other way. So what's going on? In the meantime, life just rolls on. Dharma is natural truth. It's the way things are. It has nothing to do with how we think it should be, was, could be, maybe is. It's the way things are. And the truth is, bodies uh, grow up, they age. Most, many of us, most of us get ill, and then eventually the body dies. And then there are all kinds of views what happens after that and where it was before, if there was a before or after, fine. Um, now being uh, definitely a senior citizen, uh, and it's interesting to see um, the, how the past is misused, in other words, um, and how the present can be used so that life can uh, be carried out in a fruitful way. For example, I'll take one, one person I know. Um, <clears throat> he's not a meditator, and when I've tried to share ideas like this, it, he's not interested. Um, he, he, a large part of his conversation is about comparing himself or how he is now, and it's only, he's about 70, how he is now to how he used to be. And it's a lament. You know, I, I'm, I can't run as fast as I am. Uh, my teeth are, I have to eat softer food. You know, it goes, and it's all about comparing himself to how he used to be. And as a result, of course, he always comes up short. And then and that, that's his, so the past is brought in, but it's the past is brought in to, in a sense, undermine the, the quality of the present. Uh, wisdom or skill in living would be to understand that, of course, you're, uh, f uh, for most of us, our capacity changes as we age. And to understand it's a natural process. Now, do you just automatically, by reading a Buddhist text, become, oh, yeah, fine, I'm at home with being uh, elderly? Of course not. It's something we have to learn because uh, I'll give you an example. The first time I got, I got a major lesson in this, I was uh, I was just in my in my sixties. I mean, I'm, I'm eighty three now. <laughs> honestly, I was in my sixties, and I was coming home from Coolidge Corner. I got on the T to come back come back to Harvard to uh, uh, Cambridge, and. It's, there are no seats, and so I'm holding on, and a young woman in her early 20s smiles at me. I smile back. She gets up and gives me her seat. And I say, oh, what a nice, well-brought-up young woman that is. You know. And then I assume, of course, she's getting off at the next stop. And uh, I'm sitting there content, and uh, she smiles at me, and I smile back at her. And then the she doesn't get off at the next stop. Oh, maybe it's the next next stop. She doesn't get off at that stop. And I realized, suddenly my mind be went into panic. <laughs> Became hysterical, really, you know. And I realized, I, I, all, for all these years, I'm the one who gives up my seat to other people. And now she sees me as, hey, Pop, take a load off you, you know. <laughs> hey, old timer, let me help you out, you know, sort of. And I saw the mind going, going nuts. And... But fortunately, being a sincere Vipassana meditator, uh, I took a look at it, and little by little, it, it calmed down. And she got off almost where I did. And, it, and 
it was a great teaching. It showed me that I had a fixation on where I was and that I was perceived in a way that in many ways was more realistic than the way I was seeing myself. So it's something you learn. It isn't handed to us. We learn how to live by seeing faulty ways of living, typically. It's not by getting a, a guideline, a rule book. Uh, the Buddha says, this is how you live, and then you try, to uh, 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 you try to approximate as best you can. People do that. Spiritual paths are often very filled with idealistic people who set up ideals of how to be as a person, and then constantly fall short and suffer. Uh, this approach, which comes from the Buddha, is called the way of, neg of negation. You don't try to be a good, uh, let's say, elderly person. You see ways in which you're suffering, and I don't mean physical pain. Of course, you know, physical pain comes, and it's a fact. But you see ways in which the kind of suffering that emanates from the psyche is optional. And that how we do have, the Buddha is saying that we have, a, we have the, the ability to redirect energy so that it's in the service of how we live, enabling us to live in a more beneficial, wiser, and kinder way. In other words, we can take our life into our own hands and change it. Of course, you can do it to some degree with your body, by the way you eat. You know this. We're bombarded now with you know, whole foods. You know the whole... I don't have to... And that's good. Um, unless you attach to that and then I remember a bumper sticker who says, eat, eat organic vegetables and still die. It was a bumper sticker. <laughs> I've been a health freak since I was 18 years old. And I'm going to die. And so what about that one? Have I worked on that one? I even was, uh, uh, you mentioned it, uh, Adam. I wrote a book on it about 20 years ago. How arrogant of me. What did I know about it? I'm getting closer to understanding what that is, as what's ahead of me is less than what was in back of me. You have, many of you have a lot ahead of you, hopefully, and not so much in back of you. But it's, it affects all of us. We're, we're all humans. We're all in the same boat. And so what I saw, and I, which I see, is that often when we're regarding a faulty use of the future, uh, looking at uh, I've seen that the fear of death is not really the fear of death it's the fear of the idea of death you know when I because in questioning people and looking at my own mind most of what I've learned I, the Buddha to me Buddhism is a, a beautiful guide to living it's a guidebook it's a guide to uh, living a useful life that leads to more kindness and wisdom and compassion but you have to do it. Be a lamp unto yourself towards the end of the Buddha's life. It's, it's true. We have to, we're finally, no one can do any of this for us. I can't do anything for you. I can hardly do anything for myself. What I can do is tell you that I can't help you. That you have to do it. And peop, but people come to talks like this and want you, I'll tell you what to do. Uh, breathe in, out, in, out, in, out. You feel more calm? Yeah, okay, now just open it up, watch everything arise and pass away. And so it'll become like a nice mechanical method. And you just plug yourself into the wall, and then it goes. <laughs> and then if you do enough of it, like I sit two hours, in the, an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, on weekends I do more, I do retreats here, I go to IMS. Good, are you wiser? Well, what's that? What's the quality of your life? How do you treat people? Have you seen any difference? Are you unlearning what needs to be unlearned? Uh, 
making room to learn what is useful and skillful. So it's very creative. It's not a mechanical approach at all. And so time is really important. Let me give you, so what I've seen is the idea of death is when people imagine themselves, uh, I remember the fr when I first did it some years ago, um, I liked some of the films that were playing at the, Ken that play at the Kendall Theater. I'm a film buff. And suddenly I said, I, I, I made a, an experiment. I played a game with myself, imagining a world without me. Here the latest films, you know, just came in foreign films and I'm not there to see it. <laughs> and then Whole Foods now has a beautifully organic vegetarian restaurant attached to it. And I can't go there to eat at it because I'm, I'm that's my, one of my obsessions. And, uh, and what if it's happening at CIMC? What's going on? Are there people coming? Are they benefiting? Is it, I'm not going to be there to know. And I, and I felt sadness, a sorrow, because there was a world without me. What kind of a world could it be without me in it? To know that I'm part of that world that is here, but I'm not there. And I saw the mind can make up stuff. There is a fact, of course, we all, the body has to go through certain uh, stages. That, that's a fact. How we relate to it varies. And wisdom is learning how to align ourselves with, the, with nature. Dharma means natural truth. And that one is a difficult one. Death is perhaps the hardest one, isn't it? For m most of us. Uh, uh, for example, what I learned was how much I treasure life. I really love life. Not just the Kendall Theater, but I could go on and on, you know. And, uh, and I saw that uh, there was a, a, a cling to that. Well, the art is enjoying it while you're here. Uh, to flash back to this other fellow who kept comparing himself when he was a faster runner, had all his teeth, etc. Who my, this, my friend who's comparing himself. Um, when you come to terms, let's say when I when I saw that incident on the on the uh, tee, and it helped me understand that I am older, and that's how people see me, and then I finally more and more caught up with the facts of my life and was able to see myself that way, um, I was much more relaxed and could enjoy life. Uh, I used to be able to just walk from Cambridge uh, to Brookline at top speed without stopping. I can still do that now, but I, have to, I stop a couple of times and I even know which park benches I'm going to stop on. And then I sit and follow my breath. I'm just trying to tell you to do that. And... <laughs> Uh, you know, you've read Thich Nhat Hanh. You know, I, I studied with him for a few years. So I, I uh, and then I walk again, not quite as fast. If I need to, need to sit at three benches, I sit at three benches. But I'm not comparing how I was to how I am now. I'm, it, but it took me a while. I had to learn my way into being. In, in other words, life can be beautiful. Uh, someone asked the question, we had a day-long retreat on Saturday, and someone asked me, how has meditation changed you? And I went through uh, you know, what I, my own perception of what, how I thought it might have. But one of the things that happened, some of it may be due to aging, but a lot of it, is, I would say most of it is due to the practice, is an appreciation for the ordinariness of life, that I no longer need uh, romantic, special, you know, exciting... If it, sometimes things like that happen, great. But just ordinary things uh, it couldn't be more simple. 
It's just a neighbor saying, hot enough for you today? They'll soon be saying that. Not yet. Uh, the, right now, let's see, the guy next door who, who will definitely say that. You know, have you seen, ground, seen Groundhog Day? Okay, I've lived in this place for 20 years. My wife and I have lived there. And I can tell you that he's pretty, so right now he's saying, uh, he hasn't said it yet, but he'll say it perhaps tomorrow. He'll say, well, can't make up my mind how to dress. Uh, I don't know if it's really spring, summer, or it's still fall. And I'll go, yep, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I, I know I'm making fun now, but I understand that what we're doing is exchanging a certain kind of low level, a certain affection. We're not, we're not going to form an intimate bond and, uh, you know, and uh, go to some cafe and start talking about the election or anything. It's just we happen to live next to each other. Let's, you know, be pleasant with each other and so forth. Uh, a, a flower, you're seeing a flower finally pop through anything really, a meal. It doesn't matter. You start to appreciate, wow, just to be alive is fantastic. Now, it sounds uh, kind of cliché. But I'm not talking, I'm not being poetic. As the, as the mind becomes clearer, and, it, and that's a large part, what does Vipassana mean? It means clear seeing. And we'll go into that in a moment, because I want to allow some time for discussion. Um, as the mind sort of learns how to enter into silence and not be so, uh, it, what we're enslaved to is not the past or the future, but uh, the authority that we give to the past or the future. For example, um, I would not be practicing Buddha Dharma if there wasn't a very, very important teaching of the Buddha where the Buddha encourages you to test what he... He's giving you teaching, the Kalama Sutta. If you want, look it up, K-A-L-A-M-A. -A -A. Uh, it's easy, you can get it, read it. It's, if it, this weren't there because I had a terrible view of religion, that it was because uh, I grew up in Orthodox Judaism. And I, my, I would have discussions where I asked, I would learn things in science and so forth, and that's my grandfather, who was from, in quotes, the old country. And, uh, and when he couldn't answer the question, finally he would just end the conversation. It says in the book, that's it. <laughs> so end of discussion. Uh, so that that would be enslavement from, a boot, from this point of view. From a point of view of certain faiths, say, no, it's enough. The book comes from, it's divine. Fine. I, I, I can't do that. I, I need a teaching which the Buddha provides, says, take into account the counsel of the wise. But finally, everything in the senses of these teachings are a hypothesis. And it's for you to test it and see if it's actually true in your own life. Not Because if I say it, and you then, if I'm very convincing, uh, uh, second hand, and if you get it from a book, it's second hand. So the main value of these talks, of anything that's going on, is to get you to to enjoy the process. For, this is how I see it. Enjoy the process of beginning to live consciously. It's a way of life. It isn't just a bag of techniques or something you do on uh, every Wednesday. Go to a talk, and then Friday we do. Uh, I don't know. Go to. Uh, a certain restaurant, and Monday we do uh, yoga, and Tuesday, whatever. Uh, it's this process uh, is in, learning is inseparable from living. In order to do it, there has to be uh, an enthusiasm about learning, an interest. 
there has to be an interest in how we actually live and a, and a willingness to take a look at how we actually live. And in our practice, we're trying to develop, we are developing the tools to enable us to see clearly because the learning, how can, you, how can any wisdom develop if you don't pay attention? If someone would just say, oh, no, I'm completely inattentive, but I'm very wise, how could that be? So that learning in any field, you have to pay attention. And we don't have electronic microscopes or telescopes and uh, uh, all kinds of magnificent technology. We have the mind that in some mysterious way can see into itself and heal itself through the seeing. Vipassana uh, depends on, it means clear seeing, sometimes called exceptional seeing. So that this seeing is in the service of learning. Learning what? And what are we seeing? We're we're learning how to be awake, pay attention. It doesn't mean just visual. It's how to be attentive, present, uh, to what's going on inside of us, outside of us, to learn how to listen and how to look and how to learn from what we see and hear, both internally and externally. And so it's, uh, and don't, uh, it's, it's little by little taking that on as a way of life. If you're fortunate, you know, of course, this is my view. If you're fortunate, you'll enjoy the process rather than being fixated. Uh, at the beginning, most, if not all of us, have come here to get something. You know, like I'm going to get enlightenment, and you ask people, what is enlightenment? I, have, I don't know. So you, you're uh, racing towards something you don't even know what it is. Or the different stages. Say, well, uh, are you in the second stage of awakening yet? Uh, uh, it's sort of like B.A., M.A., Ph.D., you know. Uh, and for some people, we need those things to run after. We've been brought up that way. But I think more and more, this approach, this style of practice, is to take care of the present moment because that's all we have. And vital to that is to begin to see the immense significance of living in the present moment. I don't believe, without knowing you, and I don't know most of you, so don't be insulted, I don't believe we fully grasp the immense significance of, of being alive in the present moment, which is the only place to be alive. Where else can you be alive? Why not? I think some of it is we've been brought up uh, to... Uh, we, we, li- we live in a conceptual world. That is, we have lots of ideas about our language and knowledge, what I m- mentioned earlier, which we have... Is, we have has tremendous authority over us. And so what we think is learning is knowledge. Which, and thinking, is, of course, is integral to knowledge. And that is about life. And can it be useful? Of course it can. Science has come out of it, arts, etc., everything. But it isn't it. It's about it. Let me, um, if you don't believe me, I'll quote some experts which I shouldn't be doing, but I... Here's what Wang Po, who was a a very great Chinese master, said. This is about 500, 700 years ago. The foolish reject what they see, not what they think. The foolish reject what they see, not what they think. The wise reject what they think, not what they see. Now, I wouldn't use word like reject, but it would be to know the difference between 
thoughts about reality, like this is a microphone, but those are just ideas, thoughts. The, the, thinking, the th- thinking is not it's the, uh, this itself. It's useful, but it isn't it. Or, this is from the Talmud, which is a, a Jewish book of wisdom. We do not see things as they are. We see them as we are. Meaning, unless you do something with your mind, you're seeing the, the mind through its old conditioning, through the past. That's another way in which the past uh, is unexamined. And when we think we're seeing something, we, th- we often might say, oh, well, I perceived that. Really, what we're doing mu- much of the time is conceiving of it and not realizing the difference. Um, so how, how does, uh, in, in Vipassana meditation, if you start watching the mind, you'll see sometimes, okay, let's, let's jump to what does it mean to have a clear mind? The mind that we talk about over and over again, no matter who's teaching here or anywhere, if it's Vipassana, is, a, is an awareness that's non-reactive. It's not for or against. The ancients sometimes call it a mirror mind, and the practice is dusting off the mirror. What's the dust? It's our history. It's our story. It's our prejudice, our uh, uh, conditioning, uh, the, the story of our life, wounds we have, glories that we have, uh, ideologies, religions, ethnic uh, beliefs. It's endless. Nationalistic beliefs. And then uh, that's what's going. And so that's what we're seeing. Now, can the mind be trained by seeing that we see that way, that it's a non-reactive mind, that it's not for or against, it just sees. That means it's also not seeing in order to get free. It's not seeing in order to get rid of fear. It's not seeing whatever, if you came here perhaps and you wanted to get rid of sorrow or fear or loneliness, um, the practice can help very much with that, but the attitude is vital. It's not by trying to get rid of it, which is a struggle. You turn yourself into a battlefield. It's through clear seeing and understanding um, what is. What is is this moment. It's just, that's what is. And in seeing what is, you go beyond what is. And so uh, that quality of seeing, in a sense, is, has no gaining idea. It's not trying to get anywhere. Its, its only job is to see clearly. And then it's hard for us because we're, we've been brought up in order to. We do this in order to get that. And then we, do, then we go on and keep doing that. Here, it's not as if it's passivity or fatalism. Something invaluable comes out of this seeing that's not trying to get anything. And the power of it is that it's not trying to get anything. It's the famous, well, it's not famous if you knew, don't know mind. Don't know, it's not simply you don't have information. Like, uh, do you know how to get to Brattle Street? Don't know. You know, it's not that kind of mind. It's not a lack, or if you're illiterate. An illiterate person could, have, don't, could be wise and liberated. Uh, in the Buddhist scheme of things, it's not the accumulation of knowledge about life. It's about yourself. Or as one teacher, one, uh, a great Japanese teacher put it, to study Buddha Dharma is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. In other words, when you study who you think you are, none of it will stand up. But that's what's doing the suffering. These are all mental constructions about who you are, who you used to be, who you will be if you do this meditation. 
and all of that is uh, churned out by uh, a, an image-making machine called the mind, the brain. It keeps secreting it like digestive juices. And there's something that's deeper than that. And the seeing uh, that we're developing uh, is, is, is free and clear already. And so that's timeless. It's, uh, it's called the unconditioned in, in this particular tradition. Uh, there's so much more to go, but I'd rather hear from you now. Uh, I'd like to modify what was just said uh, by Adam at the beginning. Since I know that some of you have schedules to, uh, to make, I, I'm, well, we have to, okay, let's just, if you have to, if you can only stay five or ten. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.